I don't even know where to begin with this one. You think racism can control me? Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of LM2 Talks. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This week, something that I said I wouldn't talk about, but recent events have kind of made it a little difficult to kind of avoid the conversation, and it's it's mostly because, I don't know, there was just a lot of stuff said, there are a lot of things being done, but I guess it's time for me to finally talk about Kanye West, and you know, it's it's kind of difficult for me because I think like a lot of people, Kanye's music um, and kind of his person too was something that was really, really helpful for me um, at a time that things weren't quite the way that I that I wanted them to be or that I had kind of foreseen them being, and so. I had really started listening to his music when I was a uh, in my first year of college, and things really were not going that well for me. And at the time, you know, college dropout was was the album, and eventually, late registration would come out. And as I was struggling to get through school, it was music that that really spoke to me. It was it said something to me that. I feel like I, I kind of needed to hear, um, and you know, there was an uplifting quality to it. Whether it was the production that borrowed from R and B and gospel sounds to his lyricism at the time, you know, again, he's not the, he wasn't the greatest lyricist of all time, but it, you know, it was really interesting music. It was easy to kind of get down with and understand what he was saying and hear where he was coming from, and. Over time, you know, he evolved stylistically. What he started talking about started changing and morphing, and the person who he was more and more kind of felt different. And we're kind of fast forwarding to today where it's almost unrecognizable. If you had told me the man that we saw in the Oval Office talking to the president, um, was the same guy that I was listening to back in, you know, 2005, 2006, I would never have believed you. I mean, we're talking about a man who, who on TV said George Bush don't care about black people. It was, he was somebody who felt like a champion in a lot of ways. And, you know, I guess the one thing that, that hasn't changed is he always says what's on his mind. The only issue is now what's on his mind is starting to kind of ease into a little bit of a dangerous rhetoric. And for me, part of the reason why I didn't really want to talk about it was I was still kind of sorting through my feelings and and trying to understand where all of this was coming from. A lot of people had kind of tossed around, you know, the ideas of, of mental health issues. And, and I think it's it's a very important conversation to have, but I think it's often used as a way to shut someone up um, and kind of dismiss things that are in fact dangerous that they may be saying. It, it, it often feels like folks are using it as an excuse for kind of some of the dangerous rhetoric that he has adopted over time. And 
I, I kind of want to push back against that because I don't think that's fair to other people that suffer from mental health issues that don't necessarily kind of ascribe to the same things that, that he has been saying or has been doing recently. And so, you know, as you can tell from the title of this episode, you know, I don't want to talk too much about kind of the mental health piece, but there was something that he said that really kind of bothered me. Part of the reason why I questioned talking about him in the first place is I almost don't want to give him my energy. You know, so for me, again, going back to those college days, his music was something that provided me a lot of kind of creative energy. And it it was something that was alleviating. It was something that, you know, I could listen to on repeat. And whether I was painting, whether I was designing, whether I was writing, wh- whatever I was doing, it was the perfect kind of catalyst for getting my creative juices flowing. And I'm sure his music still has that effect for some people today. And, you know, I don't want to make this, it's not about his music. It's not about his creative process. It's about the way that he has chosen to use his platform. And this is something that I take very seriously. So You know, I know I have a limited audience. I know there are not that many people that are listening to this podcast, but I know that there are people that listen to me that look to me for my opinion on things that look to me to, you know, provide them some sort of insight or guidance. And as much as we shouldn't, entertainers are often that. And so to see him kind of go down this path, spouting, you know, these this dangerous rhetoric aligning himself with people that do not have our best interests in mind. It was really troubling. And fast forward to the meeting in the Oval Office, you know, looking, looking a little bit more deeply at it, you know, one of the statements that he made, looking, essentially saying that, you know, he wasn't he wasn't down with Hillary Clinton's campaign, which you can be for it, you can be against it. I don't really care. But the way that he chose to speak about it, the way that he used his platform to speak about it, he he really aligned himself with a misogynistic point of view, an area where you know what what we're looking at is male fragility on, you know, the most obvious scale, you know, he talks about being surrounded by female energy and how, again, that prevents him from being able to feel like a man or being, you know, or as a guy in his words, feeling like he couldn't see himself in that world. And that's dangerous. That's a that's a really dangerous way of thinking. I don't know. It's just it's so hard for me to express what I'm really feeling here because you know, as as a person who was raised by a father who was essentially only raised by his mother and had two sisters, you know, my father was one of those people that grew up around 
you know, this this female energy, which Kanye feels so threatened by. Yet my father was a very loving man. You know, we never ended a conversation without saying I love you. It wasn't to say that he couldn't be tough and that he wasn't tough and that he didn't show tough love sometimes. He did all of those things, but he wasn't less of a man because of the female energy that he was surrounded by. I'm not less of a man now that he is no longer here because a lot of my life is spent with my mother and sister. The idea that being exposed to this... (laughs) female energy causes you to be less of a man is utterly ridiculous and the fact that we have given someone an audience with the president of our country who's nodding along agreeing with all of this to essentially say hey the way you know attaching ourselves to feminist ideas makes us less manly, less masculine is absurd. You know, are we so afraid of our patriarchal power that the idea of, you know, <laughs> I it's it's just it's just baffling to me. It's baffling to me. You know, and to to call out his own family that he's kind of married into at this point. Um, and the and the female energy that's there, you know, clearly he is someone who prefers big dick energy. He's somebody who who wants to be marching alongside these men's rights activists. That's what it feels like, you know. And and I I know someone's going to listen to this and say, you know, you're you're overreacting to this. But again, it's like, all right, like who's listening to his music really? Like, I mean, sure, they're they're. There are all sorts of people that listen to his music, but let's be real. Fuckboys really love his music, and fuckboys are some of the worst people out there. And they're misogynistic, they look down on women, they feel like they're being held back, they're some of the same incels that are posting on Reddit or 4chan or wherever they are. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm really frustrated and, and kind of fired up about this because, you know, let's, let's be real here. This, this rhetoric, this is what's, this is what's damaging young men. This is what's preventing them from realizing that women, that feminism does not diminish your manliness or, or what you perceive as your manliness and that this toxic masculinity, this inability to reconcile with the feminine it's it's what creates some of these issues that we're facing right now it's what prevents us from believing survivors it's what prevents us from holding men who do deplorable actions accountable because what we're essentially saying is our comfort as men our comfort in our own power is more important than what women have to bring to the conversation or what the feminine has to bring to our outlook. And I, I can't get behind that. I don't ever want to get behind that. I don't think anybody should get behind that. 
And I really feel like this is the type of idea, this is the type of ideology that we have to shut down. You know, we can't have this out there. We can't allow this a space because it holds us back as a people. And I could go on rambling on about this, but it, it, it's really it's really difficult for me to talk about. Honestly, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that that really frustrated me. And, and again, that's that's kind of the challenge of coming to this topic, coming to him, because it's like recently, every time he opens his mouth, whether it's to say slavery is a choice, whether it's to say that, you know, the make America great again hat makes him feel like Superman, you know, again, which is again, looking at that same conversation when we're talking about, you know, female energy affecting him as a guy and being allowed to feel like Superman, you know, to be allowed to feel like the super masculine. That's a it's, it's coded language. That's what it is. He felt threatened. And this guy, you know, who is sitting in the Oval Office, who is pretending to run this country, is allowing him to kind of feed off of that ego and use it in a way that, quite frankly, as I've said a few times already, is just dangerous. And, you know, part of the reason why I didn't want to talk about him. I didn't want to give him this space in my mind share. I didn't want to give him the space on my podcast, but I felt it was important to really vent my frustration because there's so many people that have kind of asked me to talk about Kanye West, share my feelings on Kanye West. And this is what they are. You know, the guy used to make some really great music every now and then he still does, but I would rather not listen to any of his music anymore if that means I can prevent him from having this share of our intellectual time. He is damaging people. He's giving credence to horrible ideas. And he's become a rallying point for people that are, for lack of a better way of saying it, deplorable. You know, people that we shouldn't be giving the time of day. And so, as much as I loved College Dropout, as much as I loved, you know, Late Registration, as much as My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is still one of my favorite albums of all time, I don't want to support his music. I don't want to listen to it. I haven't listened to it. You know, his newest albums don't speak to me in the way that his older stuff did. I don't want to support him. I'm not going to buy his clothes. I never have, never will. I'm not going to buy his shoes. And I don't think anybody should. And yes, I know some people probably agree with a lot of what he said because that's how people are. We're all entitled to our own opinions. But let's face it, some opinions are just wrong. So enough with Kanye West's. Let's jump into some of the other sections of the podcast, and we're going to start off with uh, some of my hot takes. So last week, I watched Bad Times at the El Royale, and um, after the theater failed to start the movie on time, it was delayed by about an hour or so, 
uh, which was a really weird experience, but I'm gonna be real, I was so tired that day that I didn't feel like leaving and going home, but it, it ended up working out because I got to see the movie and I got a free voucher for another movie, so double the movies, which I will never complain about, um, but overall it was an interesting movie, I was mostly entertained, the pacing was a little off, um, and I think for a Tarantino kind of adjacent film, you know, again, it's not, it's a Drew Goddard film written and directed. He's the guy who did Cabin in the Woods. Um, I was expecting it to be a little bit more punchy in the dialogue department. There was nothing that really, you know, really got me there. There were some cool ideas. There were some interesting shots. There were some, some really cool things that they did. It's just, it didn't. I don't know, it didn't have that magic that like a Kill Bill or a Pulp Fiction or a Reservoir Dogs had, even though in a lot of ways it was going for that same kind of thing. So, um, If you're into those kinds of movies, you might want to check it out. It might still be interesting for you, but you know, wasn't, it wasn't this master stroke that I was kind of hoping it would be. So I was really excited for that film and I left feeling a little disappointed, but you know, again, overall, still interesting, still good. You know, the trailers do not do that film any justice. It don't They don't prepare you for what you're actually going to get into. The other movie that I saw this weekend was The Hate You Give. And I'll be honest, uh, when I was going into that film, there was a part of me that felt really uneasy. Watching the trailers, I wasn't sure who the movie was for. You know, was it going to be the black lives matter film for white folks was it going to have something to say to black people and i think it did a really good job of striking a strong balance of you know for folks that have been engaged in the struggle or would call themselves quote woke unquote um it gave a it told a really interesting good story um that was relatable um, and gave some real insight to different types of communities um, and the duality that many um, black folk in white spaces, even though they may still live around a lot of black folk face. And I don't want to give too much away about the film, especially for those who are either currently reading the book or might be going to see it. But I felt like it was really strong overall. The entire main cast was was really, really good. Um, the one kind of sore spot that I wasn't so sure about was Common. And I've heard a lot of other people kind of had that same reaction to him uh, where he didn't feel quite right for the role that he was in. But Amanda Stanberg, Regina Hall were, were amazing. Russell Hornsby was great um you know just the the family dynamic of the main family was amazing um having the dude who plays archie from riverdale was a little bit distracting for me mostly because i he looks a lot older than he is um and it was kind of throwing me off but you know i was talking to my sister on the phone the other day and she told me that he wasn't nearly as old as i thought he was and i guess that made things a little bit better but he's still Still looked a little too old for Amanda, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, definitely worth watching, you know, for a two-hour-plus movie. It didn't feel too long at, at, at any one particular point. Um, you know, I thought they did a really good job of telling the story that they wanted to tell. 
and striking kind of the emotional points that they needed to, as well as balancing that out with a good amount of comedy um, and and just kind of general heart. You know, it was never. I I'll be honest, like I'm an emotional person. When I watch movies, you know, I well up pretty easily and. I think this movie did a good job of striking that balance between being heavy, but having those light moments that make you feel good. Um, and you know, really being able to, you know, strike up your fire when you, when you kind of need to be angry about what's going on. It did, it just, it was able to kind of hit me in all of the emotional points that it needed to hit me at. So moving on from hot takes, what I love right now, um, for those of you that are listening this week, um, 30 for 30 podcasts are back. Um, for those of you, of you who don't know, 30 for 30 podcasts are ESPN's podcast series. Um, so on the channel, they'll do the 30 for 30 films that you know might be a, a small documentary about um, some different sports story um, and the audio versions are essentially the same kind of idea but audio only podcasts that you can listen to and they're they're really amazing uh, the first one back was juiced which was the story of Jose Canseco and you know his kind of tell-all book that came out about steroids use in baseball it's a really amazing story and just kind of hearing how the book got published and and some of his feelings it was it's just a really interesting story and it's a really good time and it gives you a lot of insight to kind of the the juicing era of baseball you know looking at the bash brothers and barry bonds and all those guys and how they tried to deny their um use of steroids but you know the truth will find you um and so uh, I got a couple of Q&A questions um, from, you know, um, one of my friends, Aunt Gibbons, um, designs by Aunt Gibbs or designs by AG. Not sure what he's using right now. I should have checked before recording this. Um, definitely check him out if you're looking for a designer to do some freelance projects, web or print or, you know, whatever you need. Great guy great marketing sense um check him out i guess this is an ad for him now uh but he asked me first what did i think of the venom cgi um so last week in the hot takes i talked about venom a lot more fun of a movie than it had any right being the cg is not good um it looks it looks bad it looks like an early or it looks like kind of like a mid-2000s comic book movie and I don't necessarily hate that. I think there is still room for a little bit of jank in the movies that we're watching. Um, you know, so I think it kind of worked. It's a little weird because knowing the production of the film, they never really put, um, you know, they never put Tom Hardy in a motion tracking suit. So they really were just kind of painting over him with the Venom suit in a lot of ways. And it shows in some scenes where it's like, this looks really bad, but you know, again, I think it kind of has that early comic book movie kind of jank that is part of what made that movie kind of endearing. The other question that he had is, what do I think the impact of Disney's streaming service will be? And, you know, honestly, everybody has a streaming service right now. I don't necessarily think it'll have that huge of an impact. Um, depending on what's going on there, it might be able to you know, cause a market swell a little bit. Um, obviously they're going to have all the Marvel stuff. They're going to have all the Disney stuff. They're going to have star Wars stuff. And I think people that really love those things are going to buy in, 
But I don't think people are going to cancel their Netflix service. If they're on Hulu, they're not going to cancel that. If they're on Amazon Prime, they're not going to cancel that. So realistically, it'll just be another service that people add on. And, you know, potentially with that service being added, maybe there will be more cable cutters. But I don't think we can even say that right now. So that's pretty much everything for this week. Uh, as always hit me up at Larry Tron pretty much everywhere on social media, make sure to rate the podcast or leave a comment. It helps other people find it. Um, and it also makes me feel good on the inside. Um, beyond that, um, I don't really know what's going to come up, uh, next week, next Wednesday is Halloween when you're listening to this. So maybe I'll do a spooky episode. Uh, it was my crappy spooky voice. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, yeah. So if you have questions that you want to hear in next week's episode, send them to me, Larry at LM2photo.com or via social media at Larry Tron, pretty much everywhere you can find me. Um, and yeah, I'll see you next week. Peace.